Welcome to In the Loop, the Charlotte area's podcast where we talk about anything Charlotte with area businesses and community leaders. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm Michael Orzak, along with my co-host, Diane Chase. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Michael Graff, editor of Axios, and we're happy to have him on our show today. Welcome, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So wonderful to have you with us today, Michael, as our guest on In the Loop. And just, it's all about hearing a little bit about your story and any sorts of insights that you've gained as we've started the new year, what's happening around Charlotte in the world of business and news. But I'd love to start out with just hearing what has been one of the most interesting and happy experiences, shall we say, as a reporter, and what has been kind of the most um, difficult for you as a reporter. Well, I'll stick to reporting in Charlotte. I've been here, I moved here in uh, 2013. I had lived all over North Carolina um, before that. And so I've been in North Carolina almost 25 years now, which is crazy. But um, Charlotte, when I moved here in 2013, I've been thinking about this a lot lately as I I have a 22 month old son. And I've been just thinking about how fast this city changes. And I'm thinking about, you know, in eight, in nine years, the nine years that I've been here, it has gone from what I considered like a friendly, like small town, big city type place to an actual big city uh, where, where uh, it's busy and, um, you know, we're filling in every gap in terms of uh, development that, you know, just driving around town thinking like there was an old house that used to be here. I remember that. Um, and now that old house is no longer there. And so I think about, you know, what, what will the next night, by the time my son is 10, what will, what will the city look like? Um, so I wouldn't say that's, you know, that's one of the more exciting things about being a reporter in Charlotte during this time is just, I just get to write it down and document it and go back and read stories that I wrote nine years ago and think, wow, that was a whole different city. And so, you know, I kind of think of what we're doing, not only just reporting the news, is just trying to create sort of a time capsule of a moment in a really fast-changing city. So that's that's the most exciting part about, about my experience here in Charlotte so far. Um, you know, it's the challenging part has been because it is a city that is kind of... I would, in late adolescence, it almost feels like uh, it's it's changing, and um, and you know we're sort of searching for who our next round of leaders will be, uh, and things like that. And I'd say that that's challenging because there's a lot of positioning. People are positioning themselves to try to be the next leaders in Charlotte, and so um, it's exciting to watch, but it's also pretty contentious at times. I think when you look at city council meetings and things like that, but, um, I think it's just because everybody's trying to find their place in the leadership void that we, you know, had after 30 some years of having the same folks lead this city for a long time. Very interesting. And what are you seeing or what is your sense in terms of, 
rising new leaders and the direction that leadership wants to take the city? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think the younger gen, you know, Charlotte was the modern Charlotte was in a way built for millennials, and it's time to start building a city for Gen Z. I think, um, and I think what you'll see out of Generation Z is, you know, I'm Generation X, so I'm a little bit <laughs> uh, two two generations now removed, but I still believe in you build a city for the younger generation, you build a city for the next generation. And I think what you'll see with Generation Z is an intolerance for inequities. And that's what we're seeing from folks who are in their early 20s now. They are just, they don't accept inequities. They don't, they, they think it is, um, just, it's not even just righteous. Like they just, they, they want things to be better uh, for everybody, not just a certain few. And I think that is going, that has sort of been the defining characteristic I've seen of the young folks that we've hired. I have, I've hired folks on our staff at Charlotte Axios who graduated, uh, who, who were born the year I graduated high school. And um, it's a pretty big moment for me, but talking to them, <laughs> um, uh, talking to them, you know, you just see it's not even idealistic. They just want a more just world and they want a world that, um, that gives everybody the opportunity to succeed. And in a way, we've been talking about that in Charlotte for 10 years. So I'm excited to see where they carry that torch. Um, you know, we've been talking about equity in Charlotte since the, the economic mobility report of 2014 that everybody knows about. And, um, you know, it might be time just to see if other folks, like if, if younger folks, like to bring the younger folks to the table and see what their solutions are, the, the newly graduated from college folks. So I'm excited to see, I just love new ideas and I love fresh perspectives. And I just, I can't wait to see what this next generation brings. I love your sense of optimism. <laughs> it's really wonderful to hear because we don't often uh, get that sense a lot of times from leadership. Are there certain areas of our economy, for instance, that you see ripe for expansion or ripe for for new uh, professionals to get into these days? Uh, you guys probably know more about that than I do, I'm guessing. <laughs> but obviously, the tech world is, you know, we live in a changing, a very, very fast changing world. And automation is going to take jobs away and create tons of new ones. And uh, Charlotte needs to be positioned to be the center of uh, a tech hub in some way. I mean, and I think that we all agree on that. And I think that's why, you know, we're so happy to see some of the fintech growth, thrilled to see the growth of places like Red Ventures. I mean, they are probably, I mean, New York Times, I think, said that they were the largest media company <laughs> in the United States. And that's low key. Nobody really knows about it. But um, yeah, they they have more, they get more impressions, page views, all sorts of metrics than any other company in the country, any other media company in the country. And they've got them, we've got them right here. So, I mean, I just think that's, that's exciting to see and to know how much Red Ventures is investing in people and creating opportunities for, for folks who uh, don't work in tech to get trained and work in tech. I mean, I, I think those are some of the more exciting things. Um, 
folks who can figure out, I think I told you right before we started talking, I was working on backend web stuff today and it is, it's mind numbing for me. It's hard. And then I hand it over to some of our 22 year old employees and they can do it in three minutes. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch. Um, so I always say I learn as much from them as, as, as way probably I learn way more from them than they do me, but. <laughs> um, exactly. I think the key to uh, technology happiness is having, you know, a 12 year old around. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't have one. That's good. <laughs> well, I have That's a lot good. of technology unhappiness. So but, let me ask you this. So when you're talking about all these jobs and people doing stuff differently, do you see people like having multiple jobs part-time and that's a full-time job for them? You know, so there's like Fiverr, right? But mm -hmm. is there technology out there that's going to create this? I'm going to go work for Michael and do his, his set job for today, but tomorrow I'm going to be over here doing this. Do you see something like that evolving or is that just too far out of the picture? No, I think it's certainly part of it. I think, you know, I, we do break things down by generation. I, millennial generation had to learn uh, by sort of force when they came out of college uh, during the great recession, they had to learn gig economy type stuff, jobs. Like they had to do multiple jobs, learn how to be entrepreneurs on their own. Uh, things like that. Um, so I don't think it's, so I do think that I, mean, I think people want coming out of the pandemic, as we've seen with staffing all over and companies doing more to try to keep people and the quote, great resignation and things like that, that is happening. It's just people taking control of their own lives. I mean, and that's, you know, it's, it, it, that's exciting to watch, watching individuals say, you know what, I'm not going to tolerate not having vacation. I'm not gonna tolerate companies that say I have to come into work sick. And if that means I have to go work on my own for a while to figure out what I'm gonna do, there are options to do that. Um, we have folks who do that in our industry all the time. You know, Our industry, I'm, I'm in media, our industry probably treated young employees worse than most other industries over the first 20 years of this century. Um, uh, just generally not, uh, you know, as contractions happened at newspapers and, and magazines and things like that, you know, people were being asked to do more, uh, take over five, six beats, you know, and, and not get pay raises. And I think those day and people just did it because they thought, well, this is a calling or something like that. Well, callings are nice, but you also have to support your family and you can only do that for so long. And I think, uh, yeah, I think that's part of your, you're right. I mean, I think so in our industry, what it means, and I'm sorry to ramble is that folks leave jobs and then they go freelance for somebody like me for a while. And they, you know, they write a few stories a year for me and then they write for us at Axios and then they'll write for Charlotte magazine or they'll write for our state or something like that. And they'll build a, you know, a solid salary for a year before they decide where they want to land and where they want to go next and what's the right home for them. And, you know, I, I do worry about, you know, as you guys probably do, supply chain and all that stuff, but I'm excited to see people be able to kind of take control of their own lives a little bit more than, than they did, especially coming out of the 20, 2008 recession. That was, that was a tough time. So. I agree. It's, it's really um, wonderful to see how the pandemic has, has risen up 
in people this sense of, you know, quality of life is a priority. And if my professional life doesn't serve my overall quality of life, I choose not to do that anymore because I have options now. I have options thanks to technology and thanks to learning. I, I just had a, an interesting conversation about this where it probably is, is supported by the fact that people often are not treated well with communication during the pandemic. And so they feel like they're an island unto themselves anyway. So why not just work for myself and make it happen that way? If you were to pull out your crystal ball, what's the two or three top things you think we'll see in Charlotte this year? Oh, wow. Um, I think we'll see, obviously, I, I think we'll see more expansion of, of, hopefully, we'll see more expansion of companies coming here, more jobs coming here, um, and more solutions in terms of um, what to do. I think one of the great conundrums we'll have is that we have, uh, we have received a ton of money in terms of pandemic fund, relief fund money and trying to distribute that in an equitable way that doesn't get lost. Uh, you know, I think we've had millions and millions of dollars um, poured into our, our systems between Mecklenburg County and Charlotte, city of Charlotte. And we didn't really have the infrastructure to handle that, I guess, like to distribute it to housing op options and things like that. We just, you know, our nonprofits weren't prepared to, to house that many people at once is it's Charlotte, it's Nashville, it's Tampa. We're all in the same conversation every time when it comes to jobs, when it comes to where people are going to move, um, and things like that. So, you know, it's going to be more growth and more tension and there'll be conversations about whether we should build a, you know, the light rail to, to Lake Norman or how we're going to get that done and all that stuff. There's going to be, more back and forth on stuff like that. But ultimately the city is going to grow and we have to build an infrastructure to support all of these people. Any other, anything I could uh, add? To share? No, I'm just, I'm an honor to be here with you guys and I'm thankful to have this conversation. I mean, I, these are my favorite conversations talking about Charlotte and what's not right and what we can do to improve it. It's, you know, one of the great things about living in a city is it's so imperfect, but it's the perfect place for me, I think. And, um, you know, my son has been home from daycare, <laughs> hasn't had, he hasn't had more, let's see, it's December 22nd. Uh, he's only had four days of daycare because of everything being shut down. So I'm still trying to, in my own home, trying to tell myself the optimism that I, I've, I've conveyed here today. <laughs> like, everything is going to be okay. Uh, everything will be fine. They're going to Every go back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Well, you have been a, a voice of optimism today, and we appreciate you taking time to, to share your insights with us, Michael. Thank you, Diana, I'm so grateful. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thanks for joining us this week on In The Loop, the Charlotte Area's Chambers podcast. Make sure to visit our website, 
www.charlottearea-chamber.com where you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a show. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, please contact us via our website. <laughs> <laughs>